it's good when people pray for people. It's good when people pray for people. In fact, just before we started, Kirk told me he prayed for me. That is encouraging. You inspire hope, courage, and confidence when you say, may I pray for you. You receive hope, courage, and confidence when someone else prays for you. There's a married couple that Jennifer and I got to know when we were in Wisconsin, and uh, they prayed for us when we lived there, and on the first Saturday of every month since we've moved here, since we moved here in last, last September, the first Saturday of the month, every month, they call and they pray for us. And they pray passionately. They, uh, it is spirit-filled prayer time over our marriage, over our family, over you, over People's Church. They pray for us. It's good when people pray for people. What also inspires hope, courage, and confidence is the knowledge that one of the last things that Jesus did when he walked this earth was he actually prayed for you and me. Do you know that? In the final hours before Jesus' arrest, death, and resurrection, he prayed for those of us who are his followers. Jesus prayed for you. How do we know this? Because Jesus himself said it. John chapter 17, verse 20. The words of Jesus, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Jesus prayed for all who would ever and will ever believe in him. If you are a believer, if you are a follower of Christ, that's you, that's us. Jesus says in this prayer when he's with the disciples in the upper room for the Last Supper, Jesus prays for these disciples, so he's praying for those who are in the room, Peter, James, John, Thomas, a total of 11. Judas had already left at that moment to start the sequence that we now know as the betrayal. John is the one who would later write down what Jesus prayed in that moment. Jesus praying out loud, speaking to God the Father, says, I am praying for these disciples, looking at those who are in the room, and for all who will ever believe in me through their message. This morning, we are going to look at what Jesus prayed when he prayed for us. And we're going to see that from this prayer, we get our People's Church mission statement. For any church, it's great when your mission statement comes right from the words of Jesus. Our mission statement is to know Christ and make him known. To know Christ and make him known. The reason we exist, the reason People's Church is that 4,500 Lancaster is to know Christ and to make him known. I want to talk with you about our mission statement today and next Sunday. This week, we're going to talk about the first three words of our mission statement, to know Christ, to know Christ. Three words. Maybe only a pastor can talk for 20 minutes, 25 minutes about three words. What, why is... Why does our mission statement start like this? To know Christ. Why does it start with these three words, to know Christ? I want to give it to you right up front. To know Christ. It is very simply our desire for every person who walks through our doors or who watches online, it is our desire for you to know Christ. You're here 
You've been here for decades. What is our desire for you? To know Christ. You're here as, our fam as a family. What is our desire for you? To know Christ. You're a teenager, a college student, growing in your capacity to make your own individual choices. What do we want for you? We want you to know Christ. You're visiting from out of town. You're going to go back to your own church next week. What is our desire for you? Our desire is for you to know Christ. Do we want your family relationships restored? Do we want the chains of addiction to be broken? Yes. Do we want you to walk away from destructive thoughts, words, and actions? Yes. Do we want you to live generously and serve compassionately? Absolutely, the answer is yes. All of these things are sourced in knowing Christ. It's not what we want from you. It's what we want for you. We want you to know Christ. So today I want to show you how our mission statement comes from Jesus' prayer for his followers 2,000 years ago. What I want to show you is that knowing Christ is not just for a moment in time, it's for a lifetime. As a pastor, what I want for all of us is to know Christ and what we're going to see today is that this message is just as much for the person who's brand new as it is for the one who's been a follower of Christ for a long time. Sometimes if we've been around for a while, we think, oh, this is not for me. This is for the new person. This is for all of us today, all right? Jesus prayed for what the church would become after his resurrection. Jesus' prayer that you can read the whole thing in John chapter 17. Jesus' prayer is for what the church would become after his resurrection. So this certainly has application for those of us who call people's church our church home. If you're visiting today, if you're part of another church, you're part of no church and you're just curious, what you can take away today is knowing more about what Jesus wants from his followers. To know Christ and make him known. So this week, to know Christ. Next week, to make him known. To know Christ, to know Christ emphasizes our personal relationship journey with Jesus. To know Christ emphasizes our personal relationship journey with Jesus. So many of you have already done this. If you haven't, I invite you to open up or power up to John 17. John 17. This is at the end of the Last Supper. For today, I want to highlight a few verses in John 17 that demonstrate Jesus' desire for us to know him. Now, John records one of the four accounts of the gospel, the gospel, the, the uh, life, death, and resurrection of Christ. John records one of the four accounts of the gospel. The others are uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's as if the other accounts of Jesus were already circulating and John had a perspective that was not yet documented. Because when John writes his account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, after Matthew, Mark, and Luke are already in circulation, John contains things that aren't in the other three. We know that John wrote this in the final season of his life. It's as if someone came up to John and said, John, there are things that you know, there are things that you experienced that no one else experienced. John, you really should write this down before it's too late. 
John is, of course, the one who left the family fishing business with his brother James to follow Christ. John was the one who was at the foot of the cross with Jesus' mother, Mary. John, along with Peter, was one of the first to witness the empty tomb. And John is believed to have outlived the other disciples according to tradition and the only one who died a natural death. So this is now decades after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that John writes this down. Can you imagine those years and decades after the death and resurrection of Christ, the people who would have come up to John and asked questions like, John, what was it like to be with Jesus? What was it like to have been there? John, what was it like when Jesus fed the 5,000? You were there. What was it like in that moment? John, when was the moment that you realized that Jesus is the Son of God? John, what was the last thing that you remember Jesus saying? What was the last thing that you remember Jesus talking about before the crucifixion? So at the Last Supper... After Jesus washed his disciples' feet, after Judas left the room for, to begin the sequence of betrayal, after Jesus broke bread and poured the wine and said, do this in remembrance of me, after Jesus told Peter that Peter would betray him three times, or would deny him three times, after Jesus told Peter that Peter would deny him three times, after Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, after Jesus promised the, the Holy Spirit, after all that, John records that Jesus looked up to heaven and he prays, Father, the hour has come. As part of that prayer, realizing that time walking the earth was about to come to an end, Jesus says this, he prays this. John chapter 17, verse 3. This is the way to have eternal life. To know you, Jesus prays, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. The way to have eternal life is to know the only true God and Jesus Christ. Jesus, the one sent by God to earth. The first part of our mission statement comes from this verse, to know Christ, to know Christ. This is not, I know a little bit about Jesus. This is not, I heard something about Jesus once upon a time. This is not, I, uh, I went to a Christmas program once. This, to know you, the way that John records Jesus saying this, means to know with clarity with completeness, and to be able to recognize. It can also mean to learn active and continuously, to always be acquiring more knowledge. You might be able to say to me, I know the way to the grocery store I go to. You don't need a map. Does anyone use a map anymore? You don't need a map. You don't need to pull it up on your GPS. You don't need someone to give you directions. You know the way to your grocery store. The information is complete. It's settled in your brain. To know Christ is to pursue knowledge throughout your lifetime. This is not settled, one and done knowledge. This is a lifelong pursuit of knowledge. Also, knowledge of God is not just about accumulating information. It's building relationship. 
Knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ includes trust, personal relationship, and faith. Jesus prays, this is the way to have eternal life. Eternal life in God's presence cannot be separated from personal relationship with Jesus. Jesus prays specifically for the disciples, those who are in the room. John chapter 17, verses 7 8. Now they know everything I have is a gift from you. So this is Jesus praying to God the Father. Jesus says, now they know, talking about the disciples, they know that everything I have is a gift from you. For I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you and they believe you sent me. After walking and talking with Jesus for three years, after witnessing the miracles, after listening to the public te teaching, Jesus tells his followers, the disciples know everything about Jesus is from God. Jesus tells the Father, they know what's happened is not the result of human strength or creativity. The disciples know that is what has been done through him, through Jesus, is an act of God. The disciples know the message Jesus taught was given by God. And this is big. The disciples accepted the message. You can know the message. You can know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You can know that. You can even understand that. But it all falls short if each of us individually do not accept the message, declaring Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Jesus says, these disciples, after the time that we have been together, they believe, Father, that you sent me. The disciples' knowledge at this moment, it certainly wasn't complete because there were some really big events that had not happened yet. The crucifixion, the empty tomb, the resurrection, the ascension back to heaven, those events had not occurred yet. At this moment in history, the disciples did not fully grasp that Jesus was about to die a criminal's death even though he committed no crime, and that just days later he would rise again. At this moment, the disciples did not fully understand how, would Jesus, how Jesus would fulfill all of those Old Testament forecasts, those prophetic statements from the Old Testament about Christ as king, Christ as sacrifice, Christ as high priest, Christ as the suffering servant. But here's what they did know. The disciples were convinced that Jesus was God's messenger, God sent him, and that he taught God's truth. The disciples are different from you and me because they were learning about Jesus in real time as the events were unfolding. We have the privilege today, 2,000 years later, we can read and we can see and we know all of the events. Some of us, we read the Bible and we think, how, how could they have asked such a silly question? Like I think of uh, James and John the sons of thunder, when their mother <laughs> went up to Jesus and said, Jesus, when you get your uh, political position of power, would it be all right if my two boys were uh, like your number, number twos uh, right there at your left and at your right? 
I wonder if years after this event, John was thinking, I cannot believe my mother asked that. But here's the thing. They didn't know the whole story. Mom didn't know the whole story at that time. So they don't have the insight that we have the privilege of having all these years later. As Jesus continues to pray in the closing moments of the Last Supper, Jesus says he's not going to be in this world much longer. Jesus prays protection over the disciples. Jesus tells God he's praying this prayer out loud so they can be filled with joy. Then Jesus prays this, John chapter 17, verses 15 through 17. I'm not asking you, talking to his father, I'm not asking you, Father, to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Now, Jesus has said several different ways now. My time with the disciples is over. My time on the earth, it's done. And then he looks at, he sees the disciples in the room, or the disciples are there in the room, and he says, don't take them out of the world. Jesus prays safety over his disciples now, and safety, he, he prayed disciples over his safety. We'll get this together. Jesus prayed safety over the disciples then, and he prays safety over us now. Even though following Christ puts us at odds with so much of what's happening in the world. He says, don't take them out. Protect them so that they can do what God is leading them to do. Keep them safe from the evil one. It is God's desire that his followers be made holy by God's truth and that his followers are taught his word, which is truth. To be made holy is to become more like Christ. For us as followers of Jesus, to be made holy is to become more like Christ. To be made holy is to increase in what God wants done. Thinking the way that God thinks. Being in favor of what God is in favor of and rejecting what God rejects. To know Christ. The intended result of pursuing God, of pursuing knowledge of God, is holiness. To become more like Christ. It's a lifelong journey. Jesus' prayer in that moment for his followers was to receive eternal life through knowing God and knowing Christ. Here's why this is important to people's church and our mission. We are stronger corporately. We are stronger corporately the more we know Jesus individually. We are better as a faith community the more each one of us grows in our personal relationship with Jesus. If you are visiting today, you're part of another church, your church is better the more you know Jesus individually. I cannot know Jesus for you. Pastor Wahlberg and Michelle, they cannot know Jesus on your behalf. Pastor Bill cannot know Jesus for you personally. Kirk and Amy, missionaries to Germany, they cannot know Jesus for you. 
What we can do as a church is help Jesus' followers pursue knowledge of Christ and increase in holiness. We can talk about what it is to be for God and, and what things are out there that are actually against God, and we can help each other understand what's destructive to our relationship with God and others. We can talk about the available power of the Holy Spirit that equips you to know God deeper and be more effective and bolder for his work. We can teach and preach the Bible's power to transform lives and allow the living and active word to work. We can show you in the Bible how relationship with Christ makes a difference in our families, in our choices, how to treat others, the way we do business, and how we respond to authority. But our goal is not just to settle for imparting knowledge, like we've had a good lesson today. Our goal is to not settle for imparting knowledge. Our desire is to inspire, encourage, and promote more full life as a result of increased knowledge of God. You take ownership of this. We take ownership of this by individually being in God's word regularly. A daily commitment to devotions, to reading the Bible, prayer, and openness every time that you read God's word or hear God's word taught, a prayer inviting God, work on me through your word today. I want to tell you, uh, I want to invite the worship team to come back up. I want to tell you in high school about an interaction that I had with a, a substitute teacher. Uh, God bless substitute teachers. I know it has got to be a challenging task. I was um, very outgo- I've always been an outgoing person, very friendly. I, uh, one of my favorite times in, in high school was passing time, you know, the five minutes between classes, because I just love to see my friends. I love to wave at people. I love to say hello. I greeted everybody, tried to remember pe- people's names. Um, I greeted the teachers. My wife would tell me that it was maybe weird that I, was, I greeted my teachers, but I walk into this uh, math class, and there was a substitute teacher, and I remember I greeted this substitute teacher. I said, like I said to all my teachers, good morning, how are you? I must have said something like, welcome to the class. I'm joking around with my friends. And I don't remember much about, I don't remember this man's name. I, I don't really remember how he looked. I think that he had a, a beard. I don't remember hardly anything about him except what he said to me. I had known this man for like 13 seconds. And in that moment, he looked at me and he pointed at me and he said, I know you. In that moment, the few seconds that he had interacted with me, it seemed like I'd said something that bothered him or but he read something into me, or thought he did. He had done this complete analysis about who I was as a human or because of some past experience that he had. He, something in him, you know, he determined this is who this person is based on a passing judgment. Something I said or the way that I said it seemed to push him the wrong way. And he said, I know you, as he laid a whole set of assumptions on me in that moment. 
There was no follow-up conversation. I didn't get to debrief with him about what he meant. But the reality is that he did not know me. And I wonder today if I or if any one of us do a version of that when, we, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. Do we invest a relatively small amount of time actually getting to know him through reading his word, including literally reading his words in the Bible, now or any point, at any point in our faith journey, has our knowledge of Christ been based more on assumptions than actually getting to know him? For those of us who've been followers of Christ for a while, are we relying on what we read about Jesus a year ago, five years ago, or 10 years ago, or longer, to drive our relationship with him today? Is there ever been a moment where we've stopped pursuing more knowledge of Christ? Have we ever reached a point where we've settled and said, I think I know just about all there is to know? What those, what many of us in this room would say is that the more we are in his word, the more we're learning about him, we get more out of it the more times we read the gospel accounts, the words of Jesus. Every time we open his word, Old Testament or New Testament, even things we've read many, many times, God has something new to show us, something new to teach us. Church, let's be a church committed to knowing Christ, a lifelong pursuit of increasing our understanding of Jesus, desiring to become more like him each and every day to know Christ, to know Christ. May I invite you for just a moment to close your eyes, whatever it takes for you to have a, a moment reflecting on what God is asking you today to do, what God is challenging you to do. And we realize that people, we're all in our different, different places in our faith timeline. Maybe you've been here for a long time. Maybe you'd say, I've, I've been a Christian my whole life. Maybe you're on the other end of that timeline, and you'd say, I'm actually brand new to church. I'm just coming back to church. Wherever we are today, what does taking the next step in knowing Christ look like for you? Today may be the day that you want to take greater personal ownership of knowing Christ. You want to go beyond just listening to sermons or what others teach, and you want to start or restart that personal devotion time in the Bible. Some of us may be having a moment now where we're like, yeah, I've let that slip. I've let other, time, other activities fill the time that really should be in God's Word. How about make a decision today to reclaim that time? to reclaim that time for knowing Christ. Maybe you're here and you'd say, I have accumulated a lot of knowledge about Jesus. You would even say, I'm regularly in the Bible. But there's an area, or maybe many areas in your life, where the way you're living, 
does not line up with what you know about Christ. So maybe for you, there's something that you need to stop. There's something that you need to start, you need to restart. So that the way that you're living aligns with what you know about Christ. Or still for others today, this might be the moment where you want to take the step. You've known something about Jesus. Maybe you've even understood the idea of giving your life to Christ, but you've never made the decision to believe and know him as your Savior. And today, what you want to do in your next step of knowing Christ is to make a commitment or recommitment to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if that's you today, very simply, right where you are, tell your Heavenly Father that you receive his Son, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior. Tell him, thank you for forgiving you of your sins. Say, today is the day that I want to live my life, the rest of my life, pursuing Jesus Christ, knowing that I am saved, and as a result of that, desiring each and every day to be more like the Son. Wherever you are on that faith journey today, it is our desire for you to know Christ. It's our mission to know Christ. Know Christ, pursuing him not for a moment, but for a lifetime, desiring to know more about Christ so that we can become more like Christ. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus today. Father, we're thankful that John in the final season of his life, empowered by the Holy Spirit, wrote down his account of the gospel so that we can have this moment recorded for us where Jesus actually prayed for believers who are in this room today. Speaking of us, he says, they know me. Wow. Father, we thank you that we can have the privilege of knowing your son. For some of us today, there's been perhaps a check in our spirit because we have allowed that time that we spend getting to know you, getting to know Jesus, to be compromised as we've allowed other things to fill that space. So today we reclaim the time as a church saying, we want to know you individually. And as a result, we will grow stronger as a church community. Father, thank you that we don't have to go through some religious authority to be in your presence. We're thankful that we can open your word and that we can know, know you, that we can have direct relationship with our loving Heavenly Father through the power of the Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord.